This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I saw the photo of Violet's new pixie cut on Instagram. I love it. I know. It's so cute. I think pixie cuts are like the pandemic thing to do. My whole Instagram feed is full of pixie cuts. She's so happy. Uh, did I tell you what she said about her cut? No. Oh. She said that this haircut is the most her haircut she's ever had. Oh, I'm glad she liked it because if she didn't, that would have been traumatic. <laughs> I know. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to talk about why it's best to tackle something head on. I did this recently, and it led to success. Then in the Kraft and Fain, we'll discuss a very important skill being okay with other people having better ideas than you do. We also have a listener question, but today we are the ones doing the asking. Finally, this week's Hollywood hack is a tool to combat writer's block or any kind of creative block. But first, an update. So, Sarah, we got this email from Amy in the UK. She said, Hi, Sarah and Liz. I've been doing a daily loop around the block at lunchtime whilst in never-ending lockdown in the UK and pairing it with listening to an old podcast episode that for some reason I missed listening to at the time. I've just listened to episode 148 about time blocking from March 2020, which I found intriguing and wondered how you were doing with this given all the changes in 2021. Did it become a habit which you've tweaked or has it gone out the door? It's an interesting question because it both went out the door and is now something we do all the time. <laughs> Yes. Thank you, COVID-19. Basically, <laughs> doing Zoom has forced us into time blocking because we have found on Zoom it is much better to have one focus, like topic of conversation. And so because of that, we end up really blocking out our time throughout the day. Yeah, we usually like have some kind of pre-Zoom room meeting just between the two of us, whether it's by email or on the phone, and we do our exchanges with our producers and whatever business needs to be done, then we have writer's room time. And if you're actually in an office, you can go in and out of writer's room time. On Zoom, that's really not possible. We are there in a block of time. <laughs> and then over lunch, yep. we'll take meetings and do more business. And then we have writer's room block. So we are really doing time blocking now just because we have no choice. Yes, we are. And it's good. I mean, it yeah. does work well. It keeps you very focused on the task at hand 
which is ultimately more efficient. What I find, though, and this is really more because of the time change, is that we we don't really have a lunch hour. I tend to eat lunch during the first block of the writer's room, and you tend to eat lunch kind of on the fly between meetings before we're back in. So we do lose break time. But, you know. Yes, we do because we're running a show. Yes. And that is a bummer. But (laughs) that's probably going to be the case for the next um, eight months. Yes. Thank you, Amy, for asking. Hope that is illuminating. Um, Okay, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk Sub, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's tackling an issue head on. This has been coming up for us a lot because we're having all sorts of calls slash Zooms about all sorts of things as we ramp up on Fantasy Island. Oftentimes, there is an issue that needs to be addressed And it's usually sort of the elephant in the room. Yes. And it's often the thing that people could talk around for a while and get to eventually. But recently we had an experience where Liz just tackled something head on and it was so incredibly effective. So now we are really going to focus on just saying if there's a sticking point, if there's an issue Don't pretend it's not there. Just dive right in. So what happened is there was a note that we knew was coming. And usually on a notes call, the network kind of takes the lead and they go down the thing. And eventually they get to kind of what the big thing is. But in this call, Liz just goes, so we know you have some concerns about this part of the story and here's why we think it's awesome, and this is why it's going to work. And it was just like, oh, okay, well, great. And of course, it was a good argument. You can't do this with a crappy argument. (laughs) But but it worked very effectively to just acknowledge it and address it head on. Yeah, and Sarah, I mean, it's not like that was a plan. It's just I was so, like, desperate to get that out (laughs) that I just, like, sort of came forth with it, and I just wanted to talk about this. But then afterwards, (laughs) we realized, oh, that's actually a good strategy. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one reason it's a good strategy is because usually if there's an issue that needs to be tackled head-on, it's it's slightly sensitive or controversial, or you know someone has a strong opinion— it's hard to bring it up. Right. Many people don't want to be the one to bring it up. And so if we bring it up, it takes the onus off someone else having to bring it up. So rather than what in our minds might be polite, which is letting them sort of bring up whatever they want to talk about, in a way, it's more helpful for us to bring it up so they don't have to. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I just realized that so many of the lessons that we have to learn in our career are unlearning our Midwestern politeness. It is so true. (laughs) Just It's so disturbing. I know. This, Sarah, is a slight tangent, but one thing that you and I do, or I know I do this and I think you do it too, is if there's something we need to talk about in a meeting that sometimes I'll say, Sarah, do you want to talk about X, Y, Z? Because it's like, so I'll like force it, but I'll like pass the hot potato to you. And that is an advantage of having a writing partner. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. coming. That's really funny. <laughs> coming back from that <laughs> tangent, which, yes, I also do that. The other good thing about tackling something head on is it shows you're not scared of the issue. Like, it actually puts you more right. in a position of power. You're not saying, like, I have all the answers because, obviously... No one has all the answers all the time. It would sure be nice. But it says, I'm ready to face the challenge. I can tackle this issue. I'm not scared of it. I have at least this answer or I damn well will come up with one. Yes, it it just it makes people feel comforted to know that you're in command of a topic, even if even if you know all know it's an obstacle and a challenge. It's comforting to them to know that we're willing to go down whatever road we have to go down. And I will say, as we are now continuing to work on this issue with the room, it is still a challenge, but we close in on it every day and we know what we need to accomplish and we're almost there. So we'll get there. Yes. It's going to be really good. And it was helpful that they had the note because it sort of highlighted for us what we need to focus on. Yeah. So kudos all around. But mainly to you for just tackling it head on. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. Is there a time you tackled something head on or wish you had? We want to hear about it. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Coming up, we'll talk about being okay with someone else's good idea. But first, this break. Okay, Liz, it's time for our The Craft and Fane segment, where we talk about writing for TV. Yes, it's an art, but it's also a craft. And today we're going to talk about ideas, specifically good ideas, and how they can't all be yours. And that is okay. It's not only okay, but it's good. Yes. And this is something we have mentioned before, I think in passing in sort of various other segments, but we wanted to really call this out because I think it's one of the most important things not just in TV writing, but in any job, you want to be able to recognize other people's good ideas and be okay with other people having good ideas. Yes. And it's not always easy because it does require being able to check your ego a bit. I think especially when you're a boss, you feel like you have to kind of be the one who says the thing that makes everything come together And in order to accept not being the one who says the thing that makes everything come together, you have to be like, okay, I'm going to put my ego over here. We absolutely reject the idea that we have to have all the ideas. This is why we work with other people. This is why we work in a collaborative field. Yes. Our goal is that everyone in the writer's room should have more good ideas than we do. If they do, then we've hired well. (laughs) Yes. And the other thing I'll just say about the ego thing, Sarah, is that it's a very close cousin, I might even say sister, to dealing with your own insecurity. Yeah. So ego and insecurity are really enmeshed. And we all have insecurities in creative fields, or I'm sure in any field, And so it can bring up your insecurity that someone else has this great idea that you didn't have, and you just have to buck up and deal with it and deal with, you know, feeling less than because you didn't have an idea. It's like, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, well, and it's part of the job, like you said. That just means if you need to turn it into a thing that makes you feel good, go to what you just said. We hire the best people. (laughs) We are such good hirers. (laughs) 
So, but it is, it's a really hard skill to cultivate. I mean, you really do have to work at it. To know what a good idea is. Well, to know what a good idea is and to accept other people's. Ah, it's a yeah. it's a two-parter. And mm-hmm. the first yeah. part starts with learning the language of the room. I think when you're first starting out, we always tell assistants and lower-level writers, this is going to be totally exhausting and you're not going to understand half of what's going on because you're learning essentially a new language and a new way that people speak it can be really overwhelming. So once you learn that language, then you can kind of start to say, this is a good idea. This is an idea that doesn't work. This is, you know. And then the second step is, I think, realizing that good ideas can come from anywhere. Yes. And not just the people who are supposed to have the ideas. For instance, one of our execs on Fantasy Island pitched two words that completely changed the story enormously (laughs) and for the better the other day. And we're like, oh my God, thank goodness she said that. And then Sarah, on The Fix, our line producer had some awesome ideas kind of out of necessity production-wise that made the show better because they ended up having massive impact on scripts. Yes. And, you know, Kyra, who is our writer's assistant, is obviously in the room because it's her job to be there all the time. But Kimberly, our assistant, and our script coordinator, Caroline, have also been in the room. They have great ideas. Like, there is no title connected to a good idea or a bad idea. Absolutely. And then back to the skill of it, Sarah, to recognize other people's good ideas, you have to be able to see the big picture. So there's a little bit of Tom Cruise in Minority Report when he's got those gloves on and he's moving the pictures around. (laughs) That's very uh, the board in a a writer's room. Yes. And it's like there's the stuff that's actually on the board. And then there are all the ideas that are floating around that you're kind of moving around with the CGI gloves. And then it's also in terms of getting the good idea. There are times when four people can be pitching four different things. And part of the skill of getting to the good idea is going, okay, this part of this person's idea works with this part of this other person's idea. And you're kind of bringing different elements of ideas together and turning them into something greater than the sum of its parts. And you know, Sarah, another reason it's important to take the good ideas and recognize them and and absorb them is because it's one way that people get invested and more importantly, stay invested. If you only like your own ideas and good ideas are constantly dismissed because of the showrunner's ego, insecurity, whatever you want to say, people will check out. I mean, it's happened to us. We're like, okay, you don't want to hear from us and I'm just going to like sit here and have my FaceTime. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, it's happened to us personally, and we've seen it happening just so many times. It's the fastest way to get the people who work for you to check out. It's tricky, though, because part of recognizing good ideas is saying no to ideas that don't work, which is very different from bad ideas. There can be a great idea that just might not work in a story. So it's seldom that we think anyone's had a bad idea. It just (laughs) doesn't work for whatever reason. There are times. (laughs) There are times, but not that often. I think it's something for writers. Not from writers, usually. That's true. (laughs) That is true. Um, (laughs) But it is something that I think it's important for writers who are in rooms to remember that if an idea doesn't land, if it doesn't stick, it's not because it was bad. because It's because it didn't work. There is a difference. And it may not have worked for a thousand different reasons. Yes, often production reasons. 
Yeah, yes, that's true. But it really creates a team atmosphere. If if everyone feels like if I have a good idea, I can be relatively sure that it has a great chance of making it into the story. Then everyone just feels like they're part of a team. Yeah, and thinking this way as a leader, as a boss, really takes the pressure off also. Like, if you can right. say, I have this great team, I don't have to come up with everything, I can rely on them, and I know that they're going to come up with great stuff and I believe in their abilities, fantastic. Like, then you can go stress about, stress about something else, stress about production, stress about casting. You know, there's more than enough stress. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Adam about this the other day, and I was saying, I'm just honestly, sometimes I just feel bad because I don't have the best idea. And he said, it's not your job to have the best idea. It's your job to have the best show. And I said, yeah, that's true. Yes, that's it in a nutshell. That sums it up. Yes. So if you are leading a team, whether it's a sales team or a creative team or a football team, remember that you don't have to have all the good ideas. We are all in this together. Next up, we have a very important listener question from us to you. But first, this break. Okay, Liz, it's time for a listener question, but today we have the question for you listeners, and this is very, very important to us and weighing on us heavily. <laughs> what yes. should we wear on set? Yes, we are going to be shooting Fantasy Island in Puerto Rico from April through at least June. We don't know how much we'll be there, but very possibly we're going to be there a lot and we have no idea what to wear on set. Fig leaves. <laughs> Fig leaves. <laughs> so every other show, Sarah, as I have thought back, I think we wore jeans basically every day. Yeah, every day. But but the whole notion of wearing jeans after a year of not wearing jeans, I can probably count on one hand the times I've worn jeans in the last year. Especially like in Puerto Rico, on the beach, it just seems unfathomable. Yes. But the question is, if we're not wearing jeans, what should we wear? So like, are <laughs> leggings acceptable to wear on set? This is a question I have. As a showrunner, are leggings acceptable to wear on set? Well, and as an addendum to the leggings question, are like workout leggings or do they have to be more like you know, nicer cotton leggings. I didn't see, I didn't know there was a difference. Well, there, yeah, there is. It's just, it's a material thing. But it's also like, I have been wearing workout leggings nonstop. It's just, it feels like what I wear now. But I could upgrade. Yes. Well, and joggers, are joggers dressier than leggings? This is a question I have. <laughs> <laughs> because they look dressier when you're looking online, but I feel like when I put them on, they do not necessarily look dressier. Yes. You know, because one thing about this, Sarah, is, you know, we want to look like at least semi-stylish, right? I mean, like I was thinking about those pants people wear that the bottom zips off. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to wear those. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't want to look like I'm camping on set. Right. And we want to have a, a level of professionalism. I mean, we are in charge. I don't want to look like yes. I'm rolling out of a yoga class. We have to look like we're mm -hmm. professional. And then there's the issue of shoes. Yes. I mean, I have felt in the past like I really had shoes nailed for sets, like 
for comfort, for, you know, a certain level of cuteness. But like sets, you really have to have closed toed shoes. We are literally going to be shooting on beaches quite a fair amount. Yeah. So I'm just like, do is there anything to wear besides sneakers that are closed toed but appropriate for Puerto Rico? I'm, you know, I'm I'm stumped. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've shot in a warm environment, aside from LA, which is often not that warm. Like we've never shot in a tropical environment. No, never. If we were doing this in Hungary, I would be ready to go. Yes. And then, Sarah, because, you know, again, to ask our listeners, I'll just mention, I am looking for a nice, light, stylish, small crossbody bag. I'm open to suggestions. I have one from Lululemon, but it's just not quite right. So would love to hear suggestions. Yeah. And I, as you know, am a huge fan of Bandolier. And they do actually, you should look into this. They have a little crossbody thing. But, like, I can't put my sunglasses, for example, in my bandolier. We need something a little bit bigger. Yes. That is the issue, the sunglasses. So we would love to hear from TV people like Sarah Watson. If you're listening, we happen to know you're filming your pilot right now. We'd love to hear (laughs) from you, your ideas or anyone else. But also, even if your job doesn't take you to a film set, we welcome your input. Do you work in a warm, casual, sometimes rainy environment where you need to look professional? What do you wear? Be specific. Yes. And please send us links. And please no shorts. We're just not shorts people. We will probably be inclined to dresses and skirts. Maybe I just got a like a tropical flowy skirt. But that's not super practical for sets. And then I am also really dying to know about things like masks and face shields. I just got some, actually, some very good masks. But face shields, it's like there's a thousand different kinds of face shields. So if you are in a job where you're using face shields, do you have one that feels secure and safe and uh, thorough? You know, some face shields I see are just sort of like, oh, la-di-da, air will come in, air will come out. I want like a good, solid, like Darth Vader face (laughs) shield. (laughs) (laughs) and anti-fog spray for our glasses what's the best brand does it really work yes all right so please let us know email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com and now liz it's time for this week's hollywood hack which comes from adria lang who's a co-ep on fantasy island it's a card set called oblique strategies yeah and it's a little hard to explain what it is and what they are. So I'm just going to read the description from Wikipedia. It says, Oblique Strategies is a card-based method for promoting creativity jointly created by musician artist Brian Eno and multimedia artist Peter Schmidt. And it was first published, by the way, in 1975. Physically, it takes the form of a deck of printed cards in a black box. Each card offers a challenging constraint intended to help artists, particularly musicians, but it works for writers, break creative blocks by encouraging lateral thinking. 
Okay, so these are absolutely fascinating. Adria said she gets these for writer friends as gifts. And we should say yes. they are hard to find. They're limited editions. They've like come out in small quantities over the years. Um, so if you can find them, they're an amazing gift for really anyone in a creative field or for you if you're in a creative field. And Adria uses these cards. It's not just a cool gift. They actually help her with her process. The other good news, though, is if you can't find a set and you need creative unblocking, there is a website, and we'll link to it in our show notes because the name is not obvious. It's not like obliquestrategies.com. <laughs> so we'll link to it in our show notes. But we wanted to give you some examples that are just of kind of what they say. Like one is, faced with a choice, do both. Fill every beat with something. Lowest common denominator. This one cracked me up because we often talk about this. Like, we have to make this understandable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> yes. Trust in the you of now. That's a fascinating sentiment. Yes. Anyway, so there are lots and lots of these in the set of oblique strategies. And it's just a fascinating way to approach creative challenges. Um, so thank you, Adria. Yes, thank you. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Sankola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sankola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban. And check out the newest Onward Project podcast, Everything Happens with Kate bowler get in touch i'm on instagram at liz craft and sarah is at s fane we also have a facebook group search for happier in hollywood on facebook to join the conversation until next week i'm sarah fane and i'm liz craft thanks for joining us it's a fun job and we enjoy it Liz, I was looking up the Birkenstocks that you got, you know, the kind of waterproof beachy ones, and I want to yes. get the same ones, which I know will be a little bit silly when we're shooting. <laughs> but um, but I, what color did you get? Because I think it would be really bad if we have the same color. Yes, mine are like a, a dark gray, like a charcoal gray. I thought I was ordering black, but they're actually like a slate charcoal gray. Oh, okay. Because I think I'm going to so, get like a bright, like something bright and, you know, pink or yellow or something okay. crazy. Okay. Well, then we will not match. And then I'm going to get some for Violet, too. So we'll just be like the most ridiculous yes, looking okay. people on the beach. I also have white Birkenstocks, but they are not waterproof. But I will be bringing them, even though neither of these are closed-toed. That's okay. These are for our... This is for downtime. This is downtime shoes. Yes. From the Onward Project.